This is the Smallmouth Crush Podcast Season 2. If you're a hardcore angler, you've come to the right place. Some of the top local and regional anglers in North America. Anglers who consistently finish near the top in both largemouth and smallmouth bass fishing tournaments. Travis and his guest will discuss techniques and strategies used to help these anglers stay so consistent and help you become a better angler and gain an edge on your body of water. And now, here's your host of the Smallmouth Crush Podcast, Travis Manson. Hello, welcome to the Smallmouth Crush Podcast. My name is Travis Manson, and we got another great guest talking with some of the top local regional tournament bass anglers across North America. I'm excited. This is going to be some real good information for everybody. I hope you're enjoying the Smallmouth Crush Podcast Season 2. Had a lot of great guests so far, learning a ton of information. And I'm glad we can uh, bring some of this information to the viewers out on YouTube, as well as all the different podcast platforms out there. Before we get into the show, let's talk about the real shot. It's easily becoming the go-to shop for bass anglers. They have a wide variety of different baits, top brands like Mega Bass, Jackal, Evergreen Z-Man, Daiwa Shimano, Dirty Jigs, Kitech, heck, even Guggen Baits, St. Croix Rods, and so much more. The Real Shop's easy-to-shop website will make selecting the exact product you need super easy with fast, same-day shipping. They'll help you get your product in your tackle box before your next tournament or big bass adventure. So anytime you need to find the latest in bass gear or your favorite trusted baits, make sure to check out therealshot.com. Use my promo code SMALLMOUTHCRUSH15. You're going to get 15% off your first order, which is a super, super cool deal. And we certainly appreciate The Real Shot for their support with season two here we go robbie how are you doing i'm doing good man how are you doing good man i'm excited to talk because you've had a lot of success uh when it comes to bass fishing and and uh you got some really good strengths when it comes to uh to fishing tournaments and and how you approach things so i'm excited to get into that but before we go there robbie if you could just take a moment to uh give some of the viewers, some of the listeners that may not be familiar with yourself, a little bit of background, where you're from, some of the areas of bodies of water that you fish and, and what you have going on this year. Yeah. So I started fishing, you know, as a kid, I'm from Maryland. I've always been in the Charles County area. I'm still in the Charles County area. So the Potomac river has been, you know, something I fished my entire life from a kid growing up, even, you know, just now every day started you know doing a lot of ponds and just fishing from piers and stuff on the river and you know started catching largemouth i was like you know i want to do this mm. had a couple friends started doing some team tournaments and i got addicted from the team tournaments on and i was like you know i want to do some bfls and i just kept at it and um all the way up till this year i probably fished the most this year that i have in a long time um usually try to do one division for points a year just to see where I can kind of fall. And I did two years in a row. I, I made it to the all American back to back. And this year I fished three trails. I did the Piedmont division, the Shenandoah division and the ABA Maryland division. I ended up winning that as a co-angler angler of the year in the ABA. I got second in the Shenandoah and fourth in the Piedmont. I had a really good year and I'm starting to kind of expand on the lakes that I go to and just, kind of getting in my own thing and really, really, really feeling it. Now, a lot of people don't know you do both, right? Boater and non-boater as far as uh, tournaments and events across uh, across that region. 
Absolutely. I, you know, I started strictly as a co-angler. I had a boat. You know, you get to fishing with a few guys and you're like, man, I could go do this on my own. And you really just think, okay, I can, I can do this. So I had a boat, started fishing as a boater, and I realized how much time these guys have to put in as a boater and taking off of work and being able to be on a body of water to learn it before a tournament. And I didn't have that time off. So I had some success as a boater, especially around here, um, mm-hmm. won a BFL, second, just, you know, kind of all around. But if I felt like I needed to get in a tournament as a co-angler, just jump in it as a co-angler. But being able to go from the front of the boat into the back of the boat, it gives you a whole different you know, perspective as how these guys do it and what they have to control with the boat and the weather and where you're going and just everything that plays into it. Out the back of the boat, you're able to just get in the back and just do your thing. You can go fishing. And it it just really put me um, in a different mindset as far as being able to fish confidently, you know, wherever I am out of the back of somebody's boat from being in the front of the boat. It uh, makes a big difference for somebody that's never been up there. And they think, you know, you can do everything from the back of the boat if you just jumped in the front. It's a little bit more to it than you think. So what would you say your your strengths when it comes to uh, fishing would be? As far as, a, you know, a bait, it would probably be a chatterbait. Um, and then anytime I can get a, with that, I can fish around wood. I'm not scared to throw it around rocks or grass. I really, you know, learned how to dial those baits in with different trailers. Um, I switch colors in a heartbeat if I don't feel confident in the color that's going. I'll, I'll you know, go from white to green pumpkin to black and blue in a matter of a few casts. I'm not afraid to switch that color. And and usually that'll give me a lot of confidence by switching, knowing what bait and what color I'm getting those fish. And you can do a lot of different things with a chatterbait. You can snatch it out of the grass. You can throw it into pads. You can reel it down rocks. You can skip it under docks. Um, even in the grass and stuff like that, you can yo-yo it or fish it a little different. You know, sometimes they trigger a different bite. And just in the way you're reeling that, the cadence, um, even bending in the blade a little bit more, all those type of things can really make a big difference in, in what I'm doing in the water. And I'm not afraid to throw a totally different, you know, go from a chunk swim bait or, you know, a, or a chunk trailer. I'll throw either one just depending on what I feel confidence in for that moment. And just don't be scared to change that bait up in a heartbeat. A chatterbait guy. Okay, so this opens up a whole lot of questions from me. Um, I'm going to drill you here because we got to get into your head when it comes to this because, I mean, a chatterbait's very effective. Now, the area you fish, I assume it's a lot of tidal water, right? Potomac, and that's uh, that's kind of your comfort zone? Yep. Is that safe uh, to assume? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Anything tidal um, has really been good to me, whether it's going to the James and doing it there or the Potomac or – or even the upper bay, any of those places, they all fish similar to me. And I can throw the same baits and just have confidence every time I get into a tidal water mm. place. Eat the chatterbait will still work on lakes and stuff. I've caught them on Smith Mountain, Kerr Lake, those type of places where Kerr will flood into the bushes. You can skip that chatterbait right up into them bushes just like you can anything else and, and really get on them good in that type of stuff too. Time of year when you'll start throwing a chatterbait, or is this something you have tied on year round? Most of the time I'll have it on year round. If I'm out of my boat, sometimes I'll have three of them on the deck at a time. Whoa. Okay. Um, You know, not just one. If I go as a co-angler, obviously you'll do one, but 
Um, on the boater side, I might have a white one tied on, a green, you know, with some chartreuse on it, and then like a black and blue um, all on at the same time. So that's what I was going to ask. Do you have a specific brand or do you have a, a combination of different brands that you like? What would be your top choice when it comes to a chatterbait? Also, I'd like to know the weights that you use most of the time as well as color. So um, a friend of mine used to make them and I used to get them from um, a guy that was Potomac mix um, tackle. Uh, he used to make them. He doesn't make them anymore. Um, so now pretty much I'm all jackhammer. Okay. Really only go two sizes. I'll go from three eighths to a half. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't, don't typically go any bigger than that. I don't think you need to for the water column depth that I'll, that I'll be in anyways. And then as far as like a color, you, you got to have the green pumpkin all year round. You can switch that because you can dip that orange. You can put some chartreuse in it. You can put red on it, whatever the trailer is. That's just a standard. You got to have it on if, you know, you're going around here in the tidal water. But it's easy to modify that just from, you know, being able to put a little bit of, you know, spike it on it in different colors. Okay. Yep. So that that would be the main thing as far as that goes with those. But three eighths, probably ninety percent of the time, mm. and maybe a half, about ten percent of the time. Not not nowhere near as much as the three eighths. Gotcha. It's just a real comfortable. You know, when you can get that over top of the submerged grass real well and snatch it out of there, you go a little, you go half. Sometimes you gotta go a little faster and snatch it a little faster. But sometimes that's what they want. There's a lot of different uh, rods and line sizes that people use and everyone's got their own opinion when it comes to that. Do you have multiple setups or are you pretty settled in on, on a handful? I pretty much stick to the same thing year round everywhere I go. I'll throw anywhere from either 16 or 17, depending on the line I'm using the brand. Mm -hmm. And then I go with a, it's a power rod. It's a 734 max. It's the, it's a perfect rod for me because I can switch that at, at any time and go, from a spinnerbait, you know, a lighter spinnerbait, chatterbait, or swim jig. It's just an easy rod for a co-angler to switch, and it's just a the best all-around rod I found for a moving bait like that for somebody. So I'm not familiar with that rod. Is that fiberglass or is that graphite? Fiberglass. It is. Okay. Yeah. In 16 to 17 pound floral. Yep, all the time. How about uh, gear ratio on your on your reel? Uh, usually seven to one. Um, and it, it doesn't even matter what reel I'm throwing. Uh, just usually like that, you know, seven to one ratio mm -hmm. seems to be a good one for me. I'm sure. And then if I'm going too fast, I can always just slow, slow my wind down and I adjust it from there on what I need to do, whether I reel it a little faster or slow it down on my own to not really have to switch the ratio in a reel. Mm -hmm. You mentioned you use a wide variety of different trailers. Give me a handful of your top, top picks when it comes to that. For that, I would always use a, a Rage um, crawl. Okay. Mostly. Yep. Um, I'll throw a Zoom Speed crawl in there quite a bit. Uh, that seems to work everywhere you go. And then I like putting a Kytec on there. Um, I can switch that Kytec up to, you know, a 3.3 three or a 3.8. I can I can up that size in the Kytec and, you know, get it a little higher in the water column or a little lower just from the trailer that you have on the bait. You can adjust that as well. So as far as areas that you're fishing this chatterbait and targeting, you mentioned a lot, like you, you throw it in wood, you'll throw it up on rocks, of course, grass. 
what do you say the majority of the time you're fishing the chatterbait? What are you uh, what are you fishing as far as the structures concerned? Me, I would definitely target grass, submerged grass or pads before I did anything else. Um, just because you can cover a ton of water. Um, you get in the middle of a grass bed and you know there's a ton of fish in there. And you can kind of just sit there and fan cast that chatterbait around that grass and on any cast catch them. Now, sometimes I've dialed them into where it's one cast after another in the same spot, and you have no idea why they're grouped up in the same spot, but you get that little depression in that grass bed or something that they really are keyed in. Just for instance, I was the, I think it was the Toyota series not that long ago. I literally, my boater turned the boat around and I caught five fish in a row, same cast, Hmm. same thing every time. And, you know, he was, you know, he was good to not turn the boat and, kind of kicked me out of it. He let me keep going on that, but you never know. I mean, it could be the precise cast and you just hit that spot and they'll load up, you know, in a group together and you can just really pull them out of that grass bed real easy. How would you describe, you know, some different types of retrieves that you'll use in that grass with the chatterbait? So one thing that I'll do to start with is I'll just, I'll just, I'll start reeling it real fast. I'll just be burning it through there not really ticking a lot of stuff just kind of covering water mm-hmm. and if i'm not getting the bites from there then i'll let it just dig in a little deeper to where i'm ticking the top of the grass and just just hopping it out of there and if you're in a little bit deeper water where the grass is submerged farther you got two three foot above it sometimes just a yo-yo you can just let that thing fall just and they'll hit it before you even pick up your line they just you you reel it back to you and just kill it and it'll fall again and they seem to like that a lot when you're doing that with just nothing's happening. That blade is just falling and shimmying with that bait. And hmm. they really like to like to light it up then. So are you, is your rod tip up high and you're kind of pumping that or. So how, if how I, does that retrieve work? When I'm, when I'm letting it fall, like I am like that, I'm, I'm leaving the rod tip up and just letting it fall and you'll feel that thump on it. But if I'm reeling it, I typically, you know, aim it down on 45 or so just down and just get it there to where I can just go sideways and just snatch it out of the grass. But if you're doing the, you know, the kill with it, you, I like to keep it up. Um, and when you keep it up like that, you just let it fall. You can watch your line. You can see it in the line or you'll feel it, you know, when they grab it. And they, they really like that when you do that. A lot of guys use a chatterbait uh, a lot for targeting fish and grass, and they love to rip it out of that grass. Is that a technique you find effective? I don't. I, I I like ticking the grass, but I don't like having to just keep yanking, like mm-hmm. like burying it and yanking it out and snap, snap, snap. I don't I don't as much like that anymore. I mean, I used to do that. Now I find you don't have to do that to get the bites. I mean, if you get the right color and just get that right new movement in that bait, you can just wind it a lot of times and they'll eat it on a slow wind do you go off of like gut instinct when it comes to color changes you mentioned you might throw a bait for for five minutes and then switch colors or do you go over like a system where it depends on if it's sunny or cloudy or what are you looking at to determine your color change so the color change it it, it kind of depends on the time of year too um like in april for instance you can switch i think they'll eat white anytime during april but I won't throw white at all in, in March. I won't even switch to a white. It'll have to be once I get to April on. Um, March, I'm going to throw something with red in it um, or green or, you know, the black and blue with a gold blade, something to 
get in that dingier water before it gets cleaner in the year when the grass grows. Um, but if it's like summertime or something like that, you, you play into if it's cloudy, you know, then you might sometimes you can throw the white when it's when it's cloudy. It'll, they'll eat that white just as good as they'll eat a black and blue. Everybody mm-hmm. thinks black and blue when it's cloudy. You can go out there and do just as good with a white one. And um, I've done it many a times. So I'll just kind of get a gut feeling and say, you know what? I feel like I need to switch. And I'll make a switch. And a lot of times when I do that, I'll, I'll get a bite. Hmm. Um, and then I'll throw it for a little while. If I don't get any more bites in, I might switch it up again, try something different, something different in that area. When are you going to try the half ounce versus a three-eighth? You said the half ounce you use maybe 10% of the time. What specific situations are you encountering when you feel like you need to go to a half ounce? If it's just a little deeper on some of those lakes and stuff, and I want to get that bait a little deeper around some laydowns, I'll let it fall down there a little bit more. You also can do that on the grass, depending on, you know, the level of the water. You know, if you got a high tide over some grass, you might have, you know, two foot. But if you got a low tide, you know, obviously you, there's no chance of using that half. So I like to just base it off of, of a you know, that's another thing where it's just, on the tide level on the rivers on where I put that bait. Um, just depending on how much clearance I have. Mm. Um, I don't, you know, typically if I'm skipping docks with it, I'll stay with a three, eight skips the best. I mean, you can take a Zayco trailer and skip that thing, you know, as far back under a dock as you can with anything else you have. Um, but you, t- you got to stay with a three eights for that. I think to skip. Yeah. Okay. So great information on the chatterbait. That got me excited, man. What are some other techniques that you you utilize quite a bit uh, throughout the season? I like junk fishing. So pretty much, you know, when it's the fall time of the year, um, August, September, early October, that seems to be when I do the best. And that's typically when I can do the junk fish and I can throw a swim jig, you know, get some bites on a swim jig. You'll throw a chatterbait or you can switch it up to top water. Um then you can throw a Senko or, or speed worm. I really like that time of year because I feel like I just switch up a lot and that it suits my style to change mm-hmm. to those type of baits. Um, just like that. Um, the swim bait, you know, you can mix that in there on the river too. I mean, pretty much anything when it comes to junk fishing time of year, that seems to be when I do the best, not when the weights are everybody's catching 20 plus pound bags. That's a, that's a tough, that's a tough time of the year, uh, really almost anywhere in the country, especially tidal water that August, September, the fish have been beat up. What do you think happens? Why is it so tough that time of year? What's your opinion on that? On, you know, on the, on the Potomac where I fish the most, I think it's the abundance of grass there along with being pressured, but now we have so much hydrilla out there it you have fields of it i mean it's just like you can't you couldn't imagine how many fish are buried in that stuff they don't have to come out of that there's enough bait and oxygen moving through the water to keep them in there and then typically you'll see people the the bite will pick up real good when that grass starts to break apart because then people can get to some spots that they weren't able to get to in august you know and in september but late september early october you know, you get that die off and that grass breaks apart. You'll see the weights and more more fish being caught because people can access where those fish were and you weren't able to get to it before. You had to wait and hope they came out to you. That's one thing that, that I've noticed fishing tidal waters is the fact that the hydrilla is really taking over. And 
what are your thoughts on that? Do you are you glad it's like that? I mean, do you wish it was back how it used to be, or will it get back how it used to be? Does that change from year to year, or are we kind of stuck with massive mats of hydrilla now? When I first started fishing, we had tons of milfoil. And, you know, that was awesome because you could go punch or flip the, the milfoil mats. And, you know, pretty much it was it was your game. You could do what you wanted to do. If you want to throw a frog across the top of it, if you wanted to bring a bait by it. I mean, they were easy pickings when you had those milfoil bushes there like that. But now that that's gone, it seems you have to stick with the, you know, there's a little bit of it out there, but not a ton. You have to go to the star grass or, you know, the hydrilla. Everybody tells me that it's going through a cycle and it's going to come back, but the other stuff is here and it's, I don't mm-hmm. think it's going anywhere. It's, it's just too much of it now. Um, I don't, I don't think it's going to leave. So junk fishing, doing a lot of stuff. So you're always using a lot of different techniques and baits. I need to know what, like, what's a technique that you would just cringe if you had to use something that, you know, works, but you just avoid it for some reason. What is that? Dragon deep. It doesn't matter if I got to throw a Carolina rig or a football jig. I, I hate fishing when you get like 10 foot or deeper. Uh-huh. Um, you know, really when you get down there in like 20 or 30 foot, that is not my game. And I just, I, I hate that. I'm just like, ah, uh, wish we were on the bank somewhere. Right. But I haven't got that figured out. So to me, I don't have the confidence in that as I do, you know, if I was fishing shallow or mm-hmm anything skipping a dock or lay down i'd rather be doing that the, the deep bite i i haven't figured that out and i just i kind of hate that when i hear we got to do that what's your favorite way to catch them like as far as your favorite bite or technique to use like that's just a blast maybe not the most effective but just what you'd love to do if you could if you could just go out there and have a fun day on on the river what would you be throwing a frog frog i love it when they you get that good frog bite it's just it doesn't matter if I'm throwing a, like a ribbit style frog or, or, you know, a popping style or a walking frog, any mm-hmm. type of frog bite. When you get that a good top water bite, I, that's, that's fun to me. I mean, you're not going to get them all in the boat, but it's just, it gets the excitement going. Cause you just never know when one's just going to crush that thing. And they love to do that on the river. So that that's probably my funnest way of doing it. What's your favorite style of frog and, and what are some of the different ones that you use on a regular basis? Um, I throw the horny toad a lot. That one's probably my favorite. And then if I go from there, it'd be a spro. I like the, um, the popping one and, you know, the walking one it just depends on the situation you're in. If you're on a mat, you know, obviously the popping one doesn't, it's not going to work. You need to have a walking style one where you can just pull it across the mat. You get into open clumps or holes. That's when the, the popping one really, really, I think, you know, the deal then. I'm going to throw it on 65-pound braid and probably on a 7.5, 7.6 heavy rod and just can't bomb it as far as you can bomb it. And when you, to real, you know, be able to just be able to get – you got to have a strong enough rod to get them out of that big mats of grass when they blow up all the way in the back. Mm-hmm. I mean, you got to be able to horse them out of there. So you got to keep the line, the line up, you know, 65-pound braid, and you got to have a pretty heavy-duty rod to get it out of there. So – I'm usually a seven five to seven six rod in, in in that. What are you using as far as um a hook with that horny toad? On the horny toad, I just use the zoom, the horny toad hook that you can buy right from Zoom. Um five. Is that, have a, is that a screw lock? I can't it remember. Is. It is. Okay. Yeah. 
screw lock it on and just feed that hook all the way in the back as far as you can get it. And you're going to miss some. I mean, that's, that's the heartbreaking thing about fishing a frog is, you know, you're not going to get them all in the boat, but usually you get some of them, you know, a lot of times it'd be a good fish that you really need to weigh in when you get one. When you get a blow up and you miss it, do you have any tricks to try to catch that fish? Do you go after them with the secondary bait or do you throw right back with the frog? What do you do? That's that's tricky because I've done it to where you can get them to blow up on a frog three times, four times in a row and, and just keep missing it. And then everybody says, you know, have a soft stick bait and toss back in there. Mm-hmm. I've done that and I've caught them, you know, flipping a Senko and that right back into blow up. And I've also done it where you throw the frog back and blow up. It, it just depends on each fish is different. Um, I guess how aggressive they are. So you, you've I've had success both ways. Mm-hmm. And then I've you know had a lot of days where they won't come back and hit it at all on the second try. So the zoom horny toe, they make a lot of different colors. How many different variations of that as far as color patterns are you throwing? Or do you try yeah. to keep it simple? I, I used to buy every color they made mm-hmm. with pretty much every bait that they made. And I learned real fast. You don't need all that. I, you know, black, white, and a green pumpkin. And you, you can, you can go anywhere you want to go and fish any way you want to go with the top water with those colors. You don't have to have 14 different color frogs. I don't think. Mm. Yeah. Good information when it comes to tidal water. I mean, this, this is information you can take anywhere in the country when they get up in that thick grass, thick vegetation. It sounds like you're well-rounded when it comes to just going out there, doing your junk fishing thing. You got that chatterbait dialed in, you got the frog. Uh, I can see why you have so much success. What would some tips you would give other anglers if they're trying to become a better angler on tidal water? What are some words of advice that you could give them? time you know put your time in um kind of learn the different you know the different times of the year um because it's going to put the fish in different places but once you figure out where they're going to be they go back every year it's not like they there's there's a reason that they go to those spots and and they, they key in on it for whatever reason and every year you can you can almost go back to that same spot that same time of year and they'll be back so you put your time in, you learn the spots that the fish are, you learn the techniques that'll work in different tides and different situations. And just, just putting that time in, I think will give you the confidence in what you need to throw in different circumstances on that river. All right. Two questions I ask everyone we have on the show. I would like to know your personal best bass and a little uh, story behind that, what you caught them on, where it was. And um, if it's not on tidal water, I'd love to hear your, your biggest tidal water fish as well. So the biggest one that I ever weighed in in a tournament was 669. That's the biggest fish I ever weighed in in an actual tournament. I caught that on a chatterbait. Um, I was in Woman Creek, and we pretty much weighed it. There was a little flat where there was four or five boats fishing. We waited. The tide got right. It was the end of the day. Once all those boats got off of that spot, that pressure left, I pulled up to that spot where all that pressure was earlier and, you know, went right through there and caught that big fish. I think it was just mm. waiting for all those trolling motors to stop banging them in the head. <laughs> right. Um, you know, they, they know when that, when all them boats are there and when they're not. So just knew it was a good time to try it. The tide was right, low tide. And I went over there with a the chatterbait and I caught that was the biggest one that I've ever weighed. I didn't even get longer with it. No, <laughs> uh, but it was close. It's a good fish for the Potomac for oh, sure. Yeah. That was a few years ago. It's hard to get them to like that now. Right. They're, they're few and far between on that size anymore on the Potomac. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some out there, but it's, you're not catching very many of them, I don't think. 
Right, right. Yeah, you're lucky if you can go a year and do something like that, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Used to be able to go and catch, you know, three or four of them that size in a year, you know, a couple six-pounders and just go through it. Now you're lucky you get one. I think if you get one in the six pound range a year, you know, or, or bigger closer to seven. That reminds me, I'd, I'd love to ask your opinion on the snakehead. Cause obviously we know they've uh, came on strong over the last couple of years. Now, every year it's getting more and more of them. Do you, do you find that obviously, I mean, I love catching them, but not in a tournament, right? It's not fun when you get a blow up thinking it's a, it's a big bass and it's a snakehead. Uh, for those that are not familiar, uh, the tidal waters and probably even some inland waters in this region uh, have a species of fish called the snakehead, and they grow fast, they grow big, and they uh, they multiply quick, and they're pretty much in the same areas you can catch largemouth. How do you deal with them? What, what are your thoughts on the snakehead? Um, I'm right there with you. I hope I don't catch them in the tournament. <laughs> right. Um, it, they're time-consuming. They're going to ruin your bait um, a lot of times. And just having to take the time to fool with them and get them in, you know, especially if it's a big one, they're not going to come in easy. You got to fight them and horse them. I hate messing with them in a tournament. I, 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 if, if you're fun fishing, they're awesome. I mean, they'll give you a fight of a lifetime, the blow up, you know, they're just, they're ferocious fish. Mm -hmm. But when you get in a tournament, I'm, you know, I'm going, I'm ready for bass and I, I don't want to deal with anything. I don't want them catfish the snakeheads. I don't want to catch anything else when you're doing that. I forgot all about the catfish. They're everywhere. How many of those do you catch on a chatterbait? Oh, <laughs> sometimes enough to where you're like, you got to put it down. Right. You get in a certain area, you can just, you can wail on, on them and you're like, nope, I got to find something else and switch it to a swim jig or. Who would have thought that, I mean, I can't think of any other body of water where I've thrown a chatterbait and can consistently catch catfish. When you get into a situation like that, do you find that you can still catch bass right alongside the catfish or do you have to leave? Now I've had days where you can catch them. They're, they're mixed in there together for a reason, but you get those real big ones in there sometimes. And, and I think it will certain circumstances will push the bass away where you won't get the bites, mm -hmm. but there's plenty of times where you catching them, they're mixed in there with them. I mean, you, if you can sit there long enough and deal with the catfish to get the bass you want, I mean, it's, it's worth it, but sometimes it's just, if you're catching like nine, 10 in a row and you ain't got a bite, you know, I, then I'd, I'd rather leave. If you can deal with a couple and then catch a couple bass, a couple catfish, I can, I can deal with that. But mm -hmm. when you're just one after another, I think it's time to pack up and move on. I'm with you there. If I could give you one bait to use for one season to catch these fish on, on, on tidal water, what would that bait be? It's all you can throw. If it was on tidal water the whole time, it would be a chatterbait. It would be. It would be a chatterbait for yeah. tidal water. All right. Need to go with color. What color is it going to be? Green pumpkin. Three just because three-eighths green pumpkin. But just like I said before, you can put a different color trailer on that green pumpkin. You can dip it so many different colors for mm -hmm. different times of year. It's it's That's the most versatile color for switching you know, out trailers and and, you know, when they got orange on them, you can switch it with orange. When they got the red in them, you can put the red in them for the to match the crawls. So I pretty much like that one. Probably would be the top choice if I could only pick one. All right, good stuff, man. If you're into tidal fishing or really any type of this, uh, you know, these techniques, you can take this across the country and catch fish. Uh, really appreciate you coming on. 
Robbie, a lot of great information. How can people follow you as far as uh, what you're up to when it comes to tournaments and, and follow you on social media? I'm usually on Facebook more than anything. That's the easiest way to get a hold of me. Um, just follow me on Facebook. Uh, I'd like to, you know, give a big thanks to my sponsors that I have. Mm. Solid Rock Company has sponsored me, you know, over probably 10 years now. Um, I work with them um, for 21 years. So we do granite marble countertops. So anybody in the area looking for that, it's a family owned business and they'll take care of you there. That's um, what you do full time as yep. well. Um, this year, new to me this year is Southern Maryland Paintball. It's a local paintball company. And um, you can take your kids there for a birthday out and then and it can, the kids can shoot each other with the paintballs. Or even like we go, we went with work. We took all the guys from work mm-hmm. and we just went on a day. We didn't work and went there and just kind of, you know, had fun with each other. So it's a it's a great place to get out, do something fun. You're outdoors. Um, I think that's pretty neat. Um, I'm glad that I'm able to join them this Heck year. Yeah, I've never I've never done it. I've I've seen it. It's got to be a blast, right? It is. It is. Yeah. It is. And you just go out there for a couple of hours and you just, it's fun. It's different. It's something that you don't do all the time. And exactly. I yeah. really enjoy that. So it's, it's a good place to take anybody. Kids, my kids go there. So it's, it's a, it's real neat, real Very neat. Cool. Deal they got there. Power rods. I've been with power rods for probably 10 plus years. Um, great, great company to work with. I, you know, Keith, anytime you need something, you can call it there and Keith will get you the right rod for the right application that you're looking for. So that's pretty neat. Um, and also another one is Swagger Tungsten. Um, they'll be new new with me this year too. So pretty exciting. Um, glad to have, you know, some sponsors and a lot of support from the ones that I do have really, really helped me out tremendously. What would be your goal? Um, is it just to continue fishing tournaments on tidal water? Do you want to try to take it further? Do you have any any plans of doing that? Or are you kind of happy with, with the current situation? With the current situation, it's, it's pretty good. It's it, the last couple of years have been really, really good to me. And you, you know, everybody would love to, to do it for a living, but it would be hard. And um, I have a family, uh, you know, I have to work full time. I don't own my own business. So pretty much that's never going to happen. But right. The goal is um, this year I want an angler of the year. So that was pretty nice. Um, I've won a tournament as a boater. I've won a BFL as a co-angler. Um, I'd really like to win like a regional level tournament, a regional or an all American, something, mm. a, a bigger event, or even a Toyota series. I've been really close. Mm. Um, got a couple top fives in them. I, that's, what's really, that's, that'd be my goal was to just win a, one of those big time tournaments, man. Sounds like some great goals, man. We wish you the best of luck. I really appreciate you coming on the show. A lot of great information. Thank you, man. I appreciate you having me on there. Awesome. And as always, guys, until next time, we'll see you on the water. Thanks so much for listening today. Make sure that you're subscribed to the show and follow us on Instagram at Small Mouth Crush. Also, the YouTube channel, Small Mouth Crush. And if you feel so inclined, please leave us a five-star rating and comment with a review below. And as always, until next time, we'll see you on the water.